2: We hope you've been enjoying the History Extra podcast and all it has to offer. Summer is the perfect time to delve deeper into the things you love. So subscribe to BBC History Magazine for just £24.99 every six issues, saving 30% on the shop price. Plus, you will receive a book of your choice worth up to £30. Choose from Russia, Revolution and Civil War, 1917-1921 by Anthony Beaver, In Search of the Dark Ages by Michael Wood, signed edition, In Search of Mary Seacole, The Making of a Cultural Icon by Helen Rappaport, signed edition, or Persians, The Age of the Great Kings by Professor Lloyd Llewellyn-Jones. To take advantage of this offer and for more information, visit www.buysubscriptions.com forward slash summerreads2022. Offer ends on the 5th of August, 2022. Offer only available to UK residents. Please visit website for terms and conditions. (music)
0: Welcome to the History Extra podcast from BBC History Magazine and BBC History Revealed. I'm Ellie Cawthorne. 2022 is the History Extra podcast's 15th birthday. So to mark 15 years of fascinating historical conversations, we've asked 15 historians to nominate a figure from history who they think deserves their 15 minutes of fame. Some are inspiring people who deserve more airtime today. Others are those whose significance in history has been overlooked. And some simply led fascinating and unexpected lives. In today's episode, our guest is Dr Yanina Ramirez, who's nominating Hildegard of Bingen. Yanina tells Emily Griffith why this 12th century abbess, composer, scientist, writer and saint Deserves to be better remembered today.
2: Hi Nina, it's lovely to be chatting to you today. Hi, Emily. I'm absolutely delighted to be talking to you. You've chosen to talk about Hildegard of Bingen for your nominee for our 15 minutes of fame. So can you just briefly explain who Hildegard was and when are we actually talking about here? Right, well, I had to nominate Hildegard. I cannot believe
3: that there is anyone else in history that even shines a candle to Hildegard of Bingen. So of course I was going to choose her. Um, So we're talking talking about the very, very end of the 11th century going into the 12th century. She's born in 1098. and um, the thing is she she should be known by everybody. Everybody should know who she is. She is Leonardo da Vinci, hundreds of years before Leonardo da Vinci and better than Leonardo da Vinci. She is the single most interesting polymath across time in my opinion.
2: Have I sold her well there? You've sold her very well there. (laughs) She's already sounding incredibly intriguing. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, I mean, the thing
3: about her is um, one of the lucky things that I think was on Hildegard's side is she lived a very long time. She lived to the age of 81. And... Really, the first part of her life was if she'd died at the sort of average age for the 12th century, say in her forties, in her fifties, then we would only have a single text, maybe a couple of insights into her. But the thing is, she got so amazingly productive after her forties, which, which of course gives me great hope. <laughs> um, and she, she just created this body of, of works that are everything, you know, from, from music, the first ever morality play, poetry. She wrote theological texts, she wrote philosophical contemplations and science. You know, she's still remembered as the um, the founder of the natural sciences in Germany because she wrote these incredible books that were all about looking at the body and co- ways to cure the body. Um, and, and underneath all of that, she was called the Sybil of the Rhine because she was an advisor to the popes, to the emperor, Barbarossa, to the kings, the queens. She was just everywhere doing everything. She went on a book tour. I mean, this woman, she is so modern. And because she has left this ridiculous body of material behind, you can hear her voice. You can hear her talking to you from like over 800 years ago um i mean, just i'm just in love with her i think she's incredible how much do we actually know of her character if you say we can hear her voice how much can we actually see her oh well listen to this i've got a quote from her and this is the very opening of my new book because i just thought you know I'm writing about women and I want Hildegard to sort of shout out of the very first page. And she wrote, I mean, this is just a single example. There is just pages and pages and pages of this sort of beautiful stuff. She says, um, I am the fiery life of divine substance. I blaze above the beauty of the fields. I shine in the water. I burn in sun, moon, and stars. I mean, how empowering is that? I, I just, you know, I think we should all read that to ourselves every morning when we get up and be like, yes, I am that. <laughs> you know? (laughs) Um, And so, yeah, I do think we hear her voice because – I mean, if I explain a little bit about uh, how she grew up and and how she ended up being this this incredible human being, she was when she was very young. um, She was born in in this sort of real heart of power in the Rhineland. So you know, the the, um, palace of the Holy Roman Empire was just down the the road, and you know, it's, it's where everything was happening. There was this 12th century Renaissance taking place in and around Germany. At this time real advances in thought advances in in you know how how you frame moral issues the relationship between the church and the state it was an absolutely electric time of change and um when she was very little there's a wonderful story about how um her she was walking along with her nanny and she said to her nanny um do you see things? What do you mean, see things? You know, things that aren't there. Do you see them? She was about four years old at this stage. And the nanny said, no, I no, I don't, I don't see. What do you mean? What do you mean you see things that aren't there? She said, Well, look at that cow over there, and it was a pregnant cow. And she said, can't you see the baby inside it? And then Nanny's like, No, I can't. She said, well, Look at it. She's saying, I can see its markings. It's got this marking over its eye, and it's got some ginger patches on its back. And 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 then and then she just thought nothing more of it. And then Nanny went back and told Hildegard's mum about this. And Hildegard's mum was worried, I <laughs> think. It's a bit like I see dead people, but it was that um, she could see this calf. And so she kept an eye on the cow and then the cow did give birth and the calf was exactly as Hildegard had described it. So it's recorded that at this point they knew she was special, I think is the term. She was a special girl. And what do you do with special girls in the medieval period? Well, you don't just marry them off to a life of drudgery, housework, and you know having babies. She was sent to be trained up by the brightest female mind of her time, Jutta of Spondheim, and she became a nun. And, you know, this is something I feel really passionately about, Emily. The way that we use modern terms now, words are organic, they change their meaning. And the word nun now has a very specific connotation. We tend to think of a sort of 80 year old white haired lady walking around a herb garden with a ginger cat by her legs, um, you know, praying all day and just being very quiet and very peaceful. The word nun in the 12th century would have had completely opposite connotations, it'd be more akin to university lecturer, you know, artist, musician, anything creative, anything medical, anything scientific and you know, anything requiring education was being done by nuns. And they were the, the these convents, you know, they were like powerhouses of these incredibly important people that were changing the climate of the time. So Hildegard was going into this world and she was going into it as a young girl. And she spends the first 30 odd years of her life in an enclosed monastery at this place called Disse Bodenberg and I have had the pleasure of being allowed to wander around on the top of the hill in Disse Bodenberg by myself in the rain for an entire day and it is the most magical place the ruins are all still intact so you're like walking in to her refectory you're walking in to the, the the nave of the church that she was in honestly how I mean that's how you transport yourself back to these people. And, um, and yeah, and so she spent these years there up until she was about 38, 39, and she'd always had visions. We know that. So she obviously I've told you the story about the calf, but right the way through her her early life, she was having visions, but, but she's very clear about this. She says she doesn't go into a trance-like state. She's not taken over or possessed. What she actually describes, we're quite clear about this. It seems to be migraines. And the auras that she describes, the zigzag edges on um, on the, the shapes that she sees, the colors, even the color ranges, they're all the things that are described by migraine sufferers. So she's having these migraines and she's interpreting them as sort of gateways to the the divine, to the spiritual, to the otherworldly. But then I think something big happens and I'm the first person to propose this and I may be wrong, but it is happening around her 40th year, 40, she's going into her 40s and she describes how her visions change in their complexion. They become more intense. They take over her whole body and she becomes really, really hot with them. And then she hears um, a, a voice telling her to go and speak, to to talk to people. And so what I think happened probably is that she was going through the menopause and, um, you know, all the research that's been done on menopause at the moment, you know, the intensity of her visions increases. Well, that, is a side effect of the changes in female hormones. And um, and yes, migraine sufferers experience much worse migraines after they've gone through the menopause. So that's my scientific modern analysis of what's going on. But what it means is she then gets the confidence to start writing. And with, with the help of two people, her confidant, Ricardis, who is by her side all the time, um, lives and dies with her, and um, and also Volmar, who is this male scribe, the, together the three of them put their heads together and they write this first book, Scivias, which is about her visions, and it's the most beautiful, mad book. Like, the, the things that she's describing—they're just out there it's like 70s psychedelia you know it's so wild um and that starts her long 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 career of doing anything and everything she can to try and tap into the inexplicable she tries to describe the indescribable that's what hildegard's aiming for in her 81 years of life she she knows that the world is magical she talks about this this verdancy this greenness that's the god spirit in everything it's the greenness in the trees the greenness in the grass and that life force um And all she's doing throughout these 81 years is trying to understand it and get closer to it. So she gets to it through music. She's written... Her music is some of the most important music to survive from the last 2,000 years. And it is still utterly without parallel it is so extraordinary and so beautiful and then she even comes up with a new language she invents a language because even the limits of language is too much for Hildegard you know she it, language constricts and she wants to explode her thoughts onto like the biggest platform so I mean she's utterly extraordinary still to come on the history extra podcast but there's this daring attempt to rescue the book by these other two women after the World War. And take it out of Soviet held territories and back to Hildegard's monastery.
1: This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash History Extra. Just go to Indeed.com slash History Extra right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. eBay Motors is here for the ride.
3: I think the reason I've written my book Femina is because um, we have a very preconceived idea of wha- of how women have been treated in the past. and But the truth is, the real subjugation of women is... A couple of centuries old. It's part of colonialism. It's part of the, the developments that have happened in the last few hundred years. But there are women in the medieval period who have agency that is equivalent, if not exceeding, those of their male counterparts. So Hildegard is on the same platform as people like Saint Bernard de Clairvaux. You know, she's she's in touch with um, Thomas Beckett. and she's you know she's all these other guys are all on her world stage, and she is outshining all of them. She's the one getting the the international book tours. She's the one that the Pope. Wants to talk to, um, and so it makes us reassess not only how women were treated by men in the medieval period, but also how men have been perceived. Because she's not surrounded by a host of misogynists; she's surrounded by a society that is building her up, supporting her, propping her up. And so that makes us think differently. I think about these these clear gender divides that we think must have existed. Um, but what's also interesting is when you look for Hildegard, you find this other host of extraordinary women around her. So there's Elizabeth of Shono. She's a, another visionary who writes beautiful works. And the one that nobody knows about, who is my new number one favourite alongside Hildegard, is Harald of Landsberg. So she um, she is a little bit younger than Hildegard, but she was abbess of a really cutting edge... um. Uh, a university, well, I say university, convent is what I want to say, but essentially it was a university for women. Um, and in this, this place in Landsberg, um, the women were getting the finest education at the time. They were, they were taught multiple languages, all of the greats. They were reading classics. They were reading, you know, insane scientific treaties. And Harard puts together this encyclopedia and it is, the, it's the most beautiful work. It was all illustrated. She illustrated it all herself, but the only copy of the manuscript was, was stolen in the 19th century. So we've only got copies and facsimiles of it. But if that had survived, and, and if we carried on talking about Harard, we would know that she's there doing her thing just down the road. And, you know, Elizabeth's doing her thing and Bridget of Sweden's doing her thing. And there's all these medieval women who are celebrities and superstars and intellectuals. Um, and I think that's really inspiring because we cannot be what we cannot see. And as a woman reading about history I couldn't see myself anywhere over years and years and years it's always men and military exploits and dates and facts and battles but I think they were always there we just had to look for them and that's what you know Hildegard fortunately has never been forgotten she has remained a sort of shining light but there's so many others there's this whole 50 percent of the population that has always been there (laughs) Now now we can
2: find them again. So almost Hildegard almost shines a light on other women. She highlights the potential for other people in history. Absolutely.
3: I mean, that's why I wanted to nominate her for this because um, she is the starting point, the beacon, the sort of the the flame that the moths can gather around. But, um, but there are, you know, there are so many. I've written about I mean, there's 10 chapters in this book, each one focused on a different on a different individual, but then a whole um, cast of other women around them. And I could have written another 30 chapters. I could have written, there are so many more I still need to write. And um, and yeah, like you say, you know, Hildegard, she's sort of this, this voice that you can hear. And, um, and the reason we know about her is because this one manuscript, the Risen Codex, has managed to survive. And the Risen Codex is huge. It weighs the same as a bulldog, And, you know, it's really hard to lift. It used to be chained in a library uh, in in, um, Hildegard's Monastery of Ibogun. But during the war, it was taken to Dresden and Dresden was completely flattened. Um, And her Skivias book was also there. And this was the book that she probably illustrated herself. And I don't know if you've seen any of her illustrations, but my goodness, they are sublime. They're unlike anything else. And Skivias, after the bombing, was stolen from this bank vault. All the other books in this bank vault were stolen. The only one they couldn't physically take out of the vault was the Risen Codex. And then, I mean, you'll have to read the book, but there's this daring attempt to rescue the book by these other two women after the World War and take it out of Soviet held territories and back to Hildegard's monastery at Ibegin. And it is a real kind of post war thriller. And at the very heart of it is this collected works of Hildegard of Bingham. And, you know, even today, authors don't get collected edited versions of their works made. And yet in her lifetime, she was so much of a superstar that they put all her stuff in this one book. And this book just, it blows your mind that, she, that one brain could actually do all the things that she does in this. But what it also means is I can hear her. I can hear her when she's in her scientific mode, when she's trying to be frightfully kind of clever, clever Mrs. Scientist. And then I can hear when she's being really prophetic and sort of lambasting the, the, the leaders of the political world, telling them that they're idiots, telling them they have to do things differently. So to me, she's just, I can hear her voice completely in a way that it's quite hard to do with people from the past so she shows us what we could
2: find if we look hard enough there is so much to dive into here so to sum it all up why do you think Hildegard deserves her 15 minutes of fame as I say,
3: I don't think there's many historical figures that can hold a hold a torch to her. She is everything. She is an intellectual. She is a um, a musician, an artist, a scientist, uh, just a warm, a powerful human being. She ran. She set up two abbeys by herself. She got the funding for that. She got them built. She ran them as abbess. She brought these communities of women together that were just the most exciting places. You know, when I think about it, they were singing. They were doing. They were putting on plays. Um, They even get criticised by other communities of women because they all, uh, they were allowed to wear tiaras and long white veils and sort of flout around being told that they're beautiful, worthwhile, wonderful women. And, you know, she was doing all of that over 800 years ago. And I think even, I mean, I can't think of anyone alive now who could do any of the range that she does. And yet, you know, we can access her, we can go back to her, we can find her. So, yeah, try and show me someone better than Hilda Garda-Bingen to put in the 15 Minutes Hall of Fame.
0: That was Dr. Yanina Ramirez, who was speaking to Emily Briffitt. Yanina is a historian, author and broadcaster who's hosted several history documentaries for television and radio. Her latest book is Femina, A New History of the Middle Ages Through the Women Written Out of It, published this July by W.H. Allen. If you're enjoying this series and would like early access to more episodes to hear more historians nominating people who deserve their 15 minutes of fame, go to historyextra.com forward slash 15 minutes. Thanks for listening. This podcast was produced by Daniel Kramer
1: Arden.